Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. I always love coming up to this part of the world, uh, not only because you have beautiful beaches and good fishing, but also because you give me bacon rolls after I preach, so that's always good. Um, we're going to be preaching, I'm going to be closing out a series on uh, our values, and this is about love people, and uh, it's, it's true, I'm younger than I look. I'm 38, but I have a young wife. My wife turns, that's why, my wife turns 30 this year. Can you believe it? She's nearly nine years younger than me. And my response to people is like, yo, 30. I say, yeah, they grow up so fast. She was only 21 when I married her. <laughs> and, uh, and now she's nearly 30. Like, it's amazing. But anyway, so I feel like, you know, like I felt like I went through my 20s and then I got to do it again with Theresa. So that's awesome. Uh, Judah, my son, is nearly a year. Uh, which is amazing, and uh, and the Blairs the Blairs are quite short people. I'm like an unusually tall Blair, like the average Blair is like male is like five foot seven, five foot eight, and the average Blair woman is like five foot two, five foot three. My grand Granny Blair had a size two shoe; she could shop in the kids section. And then I married a Kiwi, uh, my wife Teresa. She's my height, so Judah obviously boys are always taller than their mom, so the Blairs are going to be taller. So actually, and also yesterday was rough for us. Uh, with a Kiwi wife, it's uh, very difficult being married. Anyway, at least one of us won. Hey? Uh, sorry, it's too soon. I'm going to pray now because I messed that up. And, uh, and then we're going to get into the sermon. Father, I just thank you so much that you love us. And Father, your, your love for us is something that we can spend our whole life searching and never quite fully understand. But there's something in our heart that just comes alive when we are with you and we encounter your love, God. You've made us to be loved by you. It's the whole, your whole purpose, God, is you wanted more people to love, and so you made us, God, and you want us in relationship with you, and God, love really does make uh, the world go round and makes our hearts come alive, and God, you made us for yourself to be loved by you, and I pray, God, that we'd understand your love and we express it to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to speak today about loving people. The, the problem with loving people is that people are the worst. I mean, like, the people can be the best, but people are also the worst. Uh, also because I'm a little bit of, like, an introvert. Like, you know, you get, like, those outrageous extroverts, and they, like, love people. But I think it's a selfish love because extroverts get energy from other people. So it's not like they just love them selflessly. It's like, I get something from you, but I don't, I don't have that benefit. And so, like, it feels sometimes like love is more of a choice or, or more of a work. So that's sometimes, like, being an introvert in church is quite difficult because, like, everything you do is with people. Um, and I wonder, like, I always wondered, like, you know, like, because God calls us to love people, I wonder if God had, like, different standards of love for introverts and extroverts. It's like, he, like, it's like playing with the ladies' tea for introverts. Like, you, you, he doesn't expect as much from you, you know? It's like, um, because sometimes, as I said, people are the best, but people are also the worst. So I want to prove this to you. Uh, think about any situation where you get to do life with people. When it goes well, it's awesome. So think about family dynamics. Oh, that's a new baby. That's awesome. I've been seeing you on Instagram, and now I'm seeing you in person. You're beautiful. Um, and uh, that's awesome. Uh, really, I, I wanted to meet, meet the new one. Um, so think about like a team dynamic at work, like when you're in a team, and like that. think about a work situation where it's amazing, like everyone knows their job in the team, you rely on each other, you know your colleagues want to get their work done on time, you can just, it's like you've got each other's back. Think about that. Now think about 
the same dynamic where you just don't trust your colleague to do their work. You don't trust them. That, you know, you, you see those little, those same two or three people always going for that lunch together, and you know the conversation they're having is not going to be great. And you just don't think that, you know, you don't trust each other. And like, so, so anyone had the great team environment where it's just like, man, this is awesome? Anyone? Cool. Anyone had the bad team environment where you're like, okay, it's like, on the one hand, when it works, it's awesome to be a part of that. On the other hand, when it doesn't work, it's terrible. Think about family situation. Like you're going on holiday and it's awesome. Because you know on holiday, especially like if you haven't seen each other for long, no one's working. So it's like the best time ever and like everyone's relaxed. So you, and then all of a sudden it rains for two or three days and you're stuck inside for three days in a row. And then all of a sudden the thing that was the best becomes the worst. You know, you played one too many Monopoly games or that other game. Anyone played Risk? Risk your mates. And it's like now there's a little internal war. So like when families are working well, it's like the best part of life. But when it goes badly, it's... So hard, you know, and so this is the dynamic we find ourselves in people because we're so geared towards people when it really works, it's wonderful, but when it's, it doesn't, it's really hard. And into this dynamic, Jesus says some really intense things about loving people. He says, As I have loved you, so you should love one another. And then he says, Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. So if we really get practical about this, does God mean us to be willing to lay down our life for our friends? And the thing about Jesus is he doesn't just lay down his life for his friends, but for his enemies too. So what do we do with that? And then Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan, you know? So there's a a Jewish guy, he's going on a business trip, and he gets beaten up and left on the side of the road for dead. And the first guy, the priest, the religious person, comes past him. And he sees him there, and he walks on the other side of the road. And, you know, he says that, that Christian thing, I'll pray for you. You know, like when a Christian doesn't actually want to do anything, but they feel guilty, they say, I'll pray for you. Now, prayer is good if you're really praying, but if it's an excuse, you know. So he does that, and he walks by. And then the Samaritan comes along, and he sees him, and he, he tends to his wounds. And then he takes him to an inn, and he pays for him to be looked after. And, and then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Like, that's the guy who's the neighbor. Love your neighbor. And you're like, so what does this mean practically for me? Because sometimes, like, you know, in, 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 our, in our country, like, you, every robot you stop at, particularly where I live in, in Durban, the Berea, it's like there's a, a beggar there. And then, like, we get it, I, after, like, years of seeing this, like, I remember because I lived overseas for four years. When I came home, it, like, was such an affront to me. It was, like, such, and now after years of living here, I've just grown numb to it. And, and more than that, sometimes I find myself getting annoyed by that same person that I suppose Jesus has called me to love. And it's like, because... So often in your car, it's like I'm in my nothing box. Like, guys have a nothing box. I want to explain the nothing box a little bit for ladies. It's like I can go there any time, um, but it's a far journey from reality to the nothing box and back again. It's light years. So when I'm in my nothing box, it's like I'm in, lost in my own thoughts, in my own world. I'm in this place. And then someone calls me, for example, my wife, and says, babes, babes, babes. And she doesn't understand that I have to travel light years. <laughs> to be from the nothing box into the present reality to connect with her. And then she says, do you want some tea? I was like, that is a long trip to say no thanks. You know, and so when I'm in my nothing box in the car and the guy's shouting or speaking to me at my window and then I come out of it, I'm like, I was like preparing sermons. I saw myself preaching on stages and stadiums. It was like angels were there and suddenly I'm in, and then I find myself getting annoyed and then I drive away going, was that really loving? Anyone had those sorts of questions? 
like you feel like, like as a Christian, like what does it mean to really love and live a life of love? And so what I want to do today is I want to try and deal with three things. Number one, why should we love people? Like we got doubt, obvious, but let's really dig into it. Why should we love people? Secondly, how do we love people consistently? How do we get our hearts there? And the third thing, and I suppose this is a little bit of a personal agenda, how do we quit the guilt? Because guilt is a really bad motivator for love. It's like when you're like, oh, you know, I just have to, I'm feeling so guilty, I just have to love you. Like, I'm just like, you know, I keep your love over there. Like, guilt is a horrible motivator to love. How can guilt produce the love of God? It really can't. And so, because we don't have a screen today, I'm going to have to explain some stuff to you and read some scriptures. But if you have your Bibles with you, which you don't, but if you have your phone with you with a Bible app on, you can go to 1 John chapter 4. Because we're going to work our way through 1 John chapter 4 for uh, most of this morning. I'll go to through other, a few of the other verses, but we'll keep coming back here. So 1 John chapter 4 and from verse 7. When I started preaching many years ago now, like 20 years ago, like you used to give people warning, and then you would see people going there, and then that person who's not used to going there in their Bible would feel awkward and insecure because they didn't know where to go, and the person next to them would have to show them. It's a long time since those days. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Uh, I love the Apostle John because he's so like either or on these things. He just brings us down to this point, and he says, basically, if you love, you're a child of God. If you don't love, you don't know God, for God is love. And what that means is that when we are born again, because that's what we believe, that everyone is born spiritually dead, separated from God, but when you're born again and you come into a relationship with God, um, you... You're born of God, which means the DNA and the nature and the character of God gives birth to your DNA nature character. His spirit, capital S, gives birth to our spirit, small s. And we're born again. We were born physically. Now we're born spiritually. And because we're born of God and God is love, we're born of love. So you've got to understand that at the heart of who you are and the heart of who God's created you to be is he's created you to be a person of love. And if you consistently struggle to love people, if you consistently struggle to not be loving or struggle with not being loving, maybe the solution is very simple. Be born again. Because if you're born of God, God is love, and so you're born of love, and so his DNA becomes your DNA. And the, the thing you've got to understand here is that the New Testament uses four words for love. We just have love, 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 but there's four words that they use. There's eros, or romantic love. Fortunately, we don't have to do that for everyone, because that would be really creepy. Um, so you get to have romantic love for you know, your spouse, but you don't have to do that for everyone. There's filio love, or friendship love. You don't have to do that for everyone. So you can have special love for friends that you don't have for everyone. There's storge love or storge love. I don't know. I just put on a bit of an accent and you think I know Greek, but I don't. Um, uh, storge love, which is familiar, familial love or family love. And so you can have a special love for family that you don't have for everyone. But then there's agape love, which is God's kind of love. And God's called us to love people with that kind of love. And more than that, we're born of that love. And the, the thing here is that what we really need to do is we need to be confident that God's redeeming work, God's miraculous work of giving birth to our spirits, of causing us to be born again, means that we're born of love. You see, so often we say, I need to love to prove that I'm a child of God, but it's actually the other way. I am a child of God, so I will love. 
For example, Jesus says stuff like this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And what Christians do is uh, we go, we, we need to, I need to be salty. We turn the, the exhortation, the encouragement to our hearts into a command, and then we measure ourselves how well we're doing at being salty. And normally it results in condemnation because, we, you know, you, you can always be saltier. And then it becomes a source of condemnation rather than encouragement. I'm not salty enough. And just know you are the salt of the earth. Then he says, you are the light of the world. And we go, I've got to be a light. You know, it's actually, you're the light of the world. He says, no one lights a lamp and covers it with a basket. In other words, it doesn't go out. It gets covered. In other words, you don't stop being light. You just inhibit the flow. But you're still light. And we've got to have a deep confidence in the redeeming work of God that actually we are salt. We are light. And we are love. If you're, you're the Christian's natural disposition is to be a place of love. I remember uh, a time in my life, I was probably I was a brand new Christian. Um, I was 18. And at that stage of my life, I was really uh, struggling uh, with depression. And um, at 18 years old, and I remember being around my friends and, and witnessing to them and thinking, I must be such a lousy witness of the life of God until I had come from a, a 21st and I came to hang out with my friends about 11 o'clock at night and they were like, What's, what are you on, dude? And I was like, I'm on nothing. You know, some new people there. And one of my good friends that knew me said, Gary doesn't need anything. In other words, booze or drugs or whatever. Gary's high on life. And I was like, here am I disqualifying myself of why I couldn't possibly be a good witness. But here's the experience from the other person going, Gary's high on life. In other words, God was using me to be salt, light, and love in that environment. And I was busy disqualifying myself, but God was still using me. So when you're in that place of, am I really loving enough? It's a silly question. Because how on earth can you measure that? How on earth can you measure your nature plus the Spirit of God anointing you in an environment and really know the full extent of the, the, the flow around you? Have confidence that what God has done in you is powerful in your environment. Verse 9, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you know the love of God? Do you really know the love of God? You see, I've asked myself this question so many times, again, normally in the way where I disqualify myself because there's always that believer, and I've got a friend called Stu Morrison. Some of you guys know him. And Stu Morrison is like, when you're around him, you just experience the love of God. And his story was, is that he, was, he had just had a backup. He was in hospital. He was depressed. He had anxiety. He was bulimic. And he was absolutely broken inside and out, his body, his mind, his, his emotions. And in that space, God said to him, Stu, I love you. And he was like, I can't believe you love me in this place. I feel so unlovely. And it completely changed his life. And, and I always thought, man, if I have an experience like Stu, then I'll love like Stu. And until I've had an experience like Stu, I can't, you know. And so then it's like, God, I need these encounters of your love. I need this other experience. But what that verse says, if you want to know love, look at the cross. In other words, you've got everything you need to know love. 
And so often we create another experience. If I had that kind of encounter, if I had that person's experience, if I had that person's journey, if I had that person's breakthrough, if I had that person's whatever, then I'd really know, experience God's love. And what God says is, look at the cross. It's a full picture of his love. You know that it's... At the cross, a lot happened. The justice of God was satisfied at the cross, but the justice of God did not, was enough, not enough to motivate Jesus to go to the cross. The mercy of God began to flow at the cross, but the mercy of God was not enough to motivate Jesus to go to the cross. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Galatians 2.20 Paul writes and he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was only the love of God that was motivation enough for him to go to the cross. It was only the love of God. And Paul says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wasn't one of his disciples that walked around with Jesus. He came later, but he understood that the love of God was a singular love. And you can experience it as a singular person. He loved you and gave himself for you. And that's what motivated him there. Not his justice or his mercy or his sense of pity. It was his love for you. Paul says in Ephesians, Five, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who loved her and gave himself for her. It was his love that, that sent him there. So I'm going to illustrate this a little bit. So it says about Jacob in chapter 29, verse 20, it says, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel because he, he had arrived, he had run away from his family because he had stolen his brother's birthright and he had run away to distant relatives and he got there and he fell in love with Rachel, but he couldn't pay Labola. He literally, he couldn't pay the, the dowry price. And so he struck up a deal with her father. I'll work seven years for you for free to marry that girl. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. What were you doing seven years ago? Just think in your life. Seven years ago, the year is uh, 2012. Imagine working every day from that day to this for a wife, men. Seven years. Seven years ago, I was 31. I had fewer gray hair. I hadn't discovered the joys of spearfishing. But there's a lot of hard work in the last seven years, man. And it said that he, his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. I remember being a youngster, like a, before I got married, when I was like 18, 19, 20, reading this verse, and I was like, yo, what kind of love was that? That seven years seems like a few days. The question is, who, who are you to Christ? Because forget seven years. Jesus Christ gave up being in heaven to come to earth and partake of all this pain and all this suffering and all this heartache and be in the midst of it. And he took upon himself your sin and my sin. 
And he was rejected by his father, and he died a cruel death. Forget seven years, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. For you. And it was worth it in his sight because of his great love for you. Verse 11, we're going to go back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Two things from this. Number one, it says no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression, other, full expression in us. In other words, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, people will see God. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Do you understand that the love that's generated in this community, when outsiders, when people step into this environment, they can see God because of the way we care for each other and we love each other? It's a part of our witness and our testimony that the very character and nature and essence of God is given to expression in this community by the way you guys love and care for each other. And the second thing is it says, and his love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, uh, tomorrow you'll give better expression to the love of God than you do today. And on and on and on, as we mature in the love of God, we'll give better expression to the love of God. But I want you to know that God's still stoked, theological term. He's still pleased to see the way we love each other now, even though tomorrow we'll be better at it. Just like as children, we grow up to look more and more like our parents. It's a strange thing, really. Like when you're little, people are like, ah, I can see your dad in there. But when you get older, it's like you can see mannerisms. Why? Because kids imitate their parents. They see mannerisms, and you see behavior, and you see uh, value systems, and you see a, a, so, a, a deeper revelation of who those parents are. So my son, and we can't show this picture, but that's fine. My son, he's a, five, a picture of us at five, six months old. It was a winter's day, and we both had our hoodies on, and we took a picture. And we sent it to Teresa's sisters, and there's many of them. There's like five of them. And they're like detectives, right? They'll notice anything. Uh, and then the, this one of them sent it back, and they had put a circle around uh, both of our heads uh, over here because I had a Superman curl. And Judah had the exact same Superman curl on his forehead. You know how proud I was as a dad? I was like, yes, my boy. Those are my genetics. That's my son. Like when people are like, ah, your son looks like you, I'm just like, yes. I'm so proud. And sometimes I say, and he looks like Teresa too. I'm like, you're wrong. But anyway, I'm, like, I'm, so, I'm so proud that he looks like me. And you know what? Today, he's more like me than I see more of myself in him than I did then at six months old. And when he's two, I'm going to see more. And when three, four, five, and, and hopefully if I do a good job as a dad, as a 20-year-old, he'll in, inhabit some of my characteristics and mannerisms and value system and my love for the scriptures and my love for the gospel and my love for the church. Like I, I want him to live those things that I've lived in. But I'm so proud that he looks like me today. And just because you're going to be more mature in the way you love in the future doesn't mean your father doesn't look at you today and go, I'm so proud that today you look like me in the way you love. You see, we think our immaturity 
is disqualification, and God is so desperate for us to love more like he, like he does, because then we'll look more like him. But actually, when he looks at you, all he sees is, that's my boy, that's my girl. When I look at them, I see myself in them, and his heart delights to see it. Do you understand that, that God is pleased to see his nature and his character in you because you reflect him? Verse 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and our testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, in this relationship of love, the Trinity gets involved. Verse 13, he has given us his spirit. Verse 14, we've seen with our own eyes and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All three members of the Trinity get involved, and I've already spoken here of the love of the Father, that He sent His Son, that we would be the firstborn of many sons and daughters. He wanted more kids. And the Son, who so loved being with people that He came to be with us, and He loved people, and He was with the unlovely, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the Pharisees, people like you, people like me. And the Spirit of God that loves being with us, so much so that he doesn't want to miss a single moment of our life. You know, in John chapter 16, the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit is referred to as the parakletos, the one that walks beside us through life. And we understand that, you know, not, it was written in Greek, so not every Greek word can be perfectly translated into English. And so sometimes the translators choose one of four words. They choose counselor, they choose advocate, they choose consoler, they choose intercessor. One of these words to give expression to parakletos. But there's this picture of the Holy Spirit that loves to counsel us. If you need counseling this morning, if you need a counselor and you can't afford the thousand rand an hour for a really good one, I know a good one. (laughs) He's the Holy Spirit and he lives within you and he will counsel you in your moments of deepest grief and your moments of deepest heartache. He's the advocate. He actually fights for you. Like if you're in trouble and you're in a court case, you want, to, you want to pay for a good advocate because they represent you and there's the Holy Spirit representing you in heaven. He's the consoler. He'll console us in our grief and he's the intercessor. He empowers us for service and the, the overall picture is the one that walks beside us through life. He doesn't want to miss a moment of your life. And we sang it earlier, like even when I don't see it, you're working. You, when you go to sleep, it's kind of like the end of your day. You've spent what you've given what you've got, and the Holy Spirit's still working in you. And when you wake up, He's waiting to see you. You know, and you parents, you'll know what this is like. It's like you have like a hectic day with your kid, and you'll, they'll go to bed, and as you're going to sleep, you're like, I can't wait for you to wake up in the morning. Like, I have those moments. Like, you think you're mad, right? Because you're like, I can't wait for you to wake up in the morning because I get to see you again. And this picture of the Holy Spirit that loves being with us every moment. And what does God want for us to have this relationship? Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Sorry, is that it? (laughs) Yeah, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. No seven years 
no barrier to entry. When you declare Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have God living in you, and you live in God. And you come into this dance of the Trinity, this, this dance of love and affection and warmth, and you made a part of it, and you experience this lavish love. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. We love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. If you want to be more loving, receive more of God's love. Your ability to love other people is a direct reflection of your ability to receive God's love because it says we love each other because he loved us first. So I need to first go and receive his love so I've got something to give away to other people. And what we do when we've got a a legalistic mindset, we go, I need to be more loving towards people because if I'm more loving towards people, then I'll experience more of God's love for me. Why? Because then I would have earned it. And it's the exact opposite. Stop trying to be more loving. I want to say that again. Stop trying to be more loving. Go and receive the love of God, and it will come all by itself. You won't have to work at it. You won't have to try hard. You won't have to be like, oh, no, I really... God, I receive your love. I heard this story from my, my youth pastor with, when I was living overseas. And uh, in, the, in their community, uh, they had, he is from Canada, he said they had this lady who was going through an extremely difficult time. She was going through a divorce. And her pastor gave her this counsel. He says, every single day, I want you to go, I want you to say these words, God, I receive your love. God, I receive your love. And so she made her shower time her love-receiving time. Because so, like, you shower every day. It's like becomes a natural, I just remember. In this time, and she was just in the shower, just go, God, I receive your love. God, I receive your love. You, I, you know, sometimes the most difficult thing as a believer is to consistently receive the love of God, especially when you feel unworthy to be loved. I think it takes more faith to consistently receive the love of God through every season of life than it does to go, I'm going to have faith to love each other people. I'm going to have faith to tithe. I'm going to have faith to give away. I'm going to have faith to be, to just go, God, I receive your love. As the messages of this world and the circumstances of your life might be communicating something different, but to say, my father is greater than all. He's the loudest voice in my life. And I receive his love. You know, I've, I've been, as a, I've, been, I've shared, I've got a one-year-old son, and it's been this amazing transformative experience in my life because there's moments when I've catch myself in this place where I'm trying to, you know, be good enough, be worth loving. And, and I, I ask myself this question, I wonder how I would feel as a father if Judah, my son, was, was saying to me, Dad, I'm, I'm trying hard to be worth loving. Like, it would break my heart. I'm like, are you joking? I I love you because I love you because I love you because you're my son. Like the moment you were born, I loved you. And if my son had spent his whole life trying to be good enough to be worth loving, 
He would, he would be working for what is freely his because he was born my son. And I want to implore you this morning, stop trying to be worth the love of the Father. He loves you because you're a son. He loves you because you're his daughter. You can't change that. And I, the Bible says, I'm a sinful, wicked, evil father. And I know how to lavish love on my son. How much more? Your father in heaven. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because you're his son, his daughter. And there isn't anything you can do about it. And the amazing thing is that when we receive that love, we naturally become a people of love. Like the best behaved kids are the most loved kids. The kids that show the most compassion and tenderness towards it, the people around them are the most loved kids. And when we receive that love from God, by, by default, we will start to express the love to people around us. Recently, I had the joy, really, and privilege of working with this lady in our community in Florida Road to help prepare her testimony so we could film it. And she came from just the most traumatic background. As a pastor, one of the most traumatic backgrounds I've ever encountered, one of the stories I've ever heard. But she said, I mean, she had just been released from St. Joseph's uh, uh, Psychological Clinic, the, the clinic there for people with mental health issues. She'd been released from that. She was on 12 different medications. She had been divorced. She had lost custody of her kids. She had just ended the relationship of the person she had had an affair with. Like her whole life was a mess. She had lost her business. And she said she, she came into church. And in that space, when she saw the way people loved each other and during worship, the love of God melted her heart. She's off all medication today. She, and when you, and she's stuck into community. When you encounter her, she's so full of love for people and so full of joy for people. You can't believe that that was her story. And, and I want to tell you this, that there isn't a ministry strategy or a church strategy or a life group strategy or a preaching strategy or a sermon strategy. And if we get this worship just right, and if we get those announcements like that, and if we get that sermon like that, and if we recruit people like this, then we're going to have, there isn't a strategy in the world that can do that for someone. Only the love of God can do that. When we talk about a church value of love people, we're saying that, that we want to give expression. We want to be a people that are so loved by God and receive that love so tangibly that we can't help but spill it out on people around us because only the love of God can do that for people. And so as a church community, when we say, hey, we want to love people, that's what we're saying. We say, God, we just want to receive your love and give it away. Because that's who you are, and that's what changes lives. And that's what we, right there, enjoy God, love people, release potential and impact community. That's, that's our prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you love us so much. And God, I just pray that the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, 
would flow through people's hearts, that they would receive it, that they would experience it, that they, you would lavish it upon us, that we would, with open arms, say, Father, the best part of my life is being loved by you. And we just rejoice that you're a God that loves us like that. Thank you, Jesus.